Our scripture for today is Matthew 23, 1 through 2, 5 through 7, 11 through 12, and 28, or 27 through 28. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their uh, phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them rabbi. The greatest among you will be your servant. All who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside look beautiful, but inside they are full of the bones of the dead and all kinds of filth. So you also on the outside look righteous to others, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, it we're looking at... Uh, the Tuesday of Jesus's last week on earth. And if you think about Tuesdays, what comes to your mind? Tacos. Tacos. Yeah. Taco Tuesdays, right? That's, I'm all about food. Taco Tuesdays. It's a great day. Uh, You know, if you have young kids, you might think about many restaurants, they offer kids eat free on Tuesdays, right? Because usually they're a slower week, eating out day. But, you know, I can't think of much that goes on on Tuesdays. We think Tuesdays are definitely better than Mondays. But but here on this Tuesday, a lot is going on. A lot is happening. And so if you brought your Bible, you can, uh, you might want to open it uh, to Matthew 23 through 25, uh, because we're going to kind of be spanning a lot of scripture this morning. Typically don't use this much, but but this whole piece is, is a big section of scripture. Chapter 23 through chapter 25 of Matthew is a sermon uh, of Jesus. And it's actually Jesus's fifth big sermon in the book of Matthew. In Matthew, there's five big sermons that Jesus gives. And this is his last one that he's given. This is kind of the, the climax of his sermons throughout the book of Matthew. And It's a powerful section of scripture, and the church has traditionally thought that that this section, 23 through 25, what he's saying, took place on Tuesday of that last week of Jesus' life. So we're going to be looking at this section here in Matthew. This is a tough section, though, I have to admit. It's uh, it's a, kind of makes me sweat when I read this part of of Matthew. Uh, it's, It's uncomfortable. It's you know, this is one of those sermons where I'm kind of sitting in the pews with you as you, as you hear this sermon. Uh, it, would be, I, it kind of makes me squirm in my seat as I listen to it because this is one of those sermons that most of us don't want to hear. You ever been to church before and you just really didn't want to hear what the preacher had to say? Don't, hey, don't answer that. You right, right? That was at another church, right? Yeah, man, Chase. You're fired. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those sermons, right? This is what Jesus has to say is, is uncomfortable. Uh, this, is, this is like rocket fuel as, as Jesus is speaking. Uh, it cuts to the qu- quick. It delves into parts of our lives that we really don't 
want to deal with or mess with. Uh, it exposes our hypocrisy, our weaknesses, our laziness, our lack of compassion, our, our lack of humility, our ineffectiveness. It's not pretty. And, and Jesus, as, as he's starting out, he's addressing me directly, pastor. Uh, he's, he's directing the leaders of the church. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, and, and so, but by the end of the section, thankfully, he's talking to all of us. So we're all in the same boat here this morning. And, and so, again, when he starts out, it says Jesus is addressing the crowds and his disciples both, as he says, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. And, and, and basically what that means is Moses' seat is the, kind of the seat of leadership. The, these scribes, which are kind of like the pastors, and the Pharisees aren't pastors as such, but they know the, the Bible well, and, and they're kind of leaders in the, the Jewish church at the time. So he's talking to the leaders here, and he says this, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad. Now, that's a weird word we don't use often, but a phylactery in, in the Old Testament, in the law of God, it says this, it says, to bind God's word in your heart place it on your forehead, on your arms, on the doorposts of your heart. So Orthodox Jews, they still do this. They have this little box that they put on their head. And in that box is little scrolls of the, the law of God that they put in there. And that's called a phylactery. So they, they like to have these big phylacteries that they put on their, arm, their forehead and they'll wrap them around their arms. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture. You can Google the word and you'll see pictures, images. They still do that today. And it says these uh, scribes and Pharisees, they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. The other thing that in the Jewish faith, uh, in the Old Testament, in the law, when you wore your clothing, you'd have to have four tassels or fringes uh, at the four corners. And so, <laughs> you know, human nature, competitive. My, my, my tassels are longer than yours, so I'm more holy, right? It's just the way it is. And so they, they love to have their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor and banquets and the best seats in the synagogues, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplace, and to have people call them rabbi. So you can kind of see that Jesus is setting them up here, and, uh, and it's going to make them sweat. Uh, and he doesn't pull any punches here. But he, he, to truly make a point, Jesus goes on and says, not once, but seven times, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He, he's getting his point across, Right? He, he is just lambasting all of the leaders of the church. And in case that doesn't really catch their attention, he also calls them blind guides or blind fools five times. Jesus obviously hasn't read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, as he's giving this sermon. And it begs the question, why is Jesus so harsh on these religious leaders? Why is he giving them a what for here? And on those who are called to teach and to preach and to guide and to care, uh, which is you and me both, because as the church, we're all called to proclaim the gospel, all of us, uh, preachers and lay people alike. And why is Jesus upset? And the reason is because these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, they forgot that they were called, that they were set apart to be a blessing that they were God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people, but we were saved for a purpose. We were saved for a purpose to be a blessing. We were saved for a purpose to be a blessing. And, and these religious leaders forgot that. And that's why Jesus is so upset. They wanted to be blessed by God, 
to receive that blessing, to, to know that they were God's chosen. They only wanted the blessing, but they forgot that they were saved to bless the rest of the world. They wanted their names on the buildings, on the plaques. You know, they wanted to have the best, but forgot the reason they were blessed was so that they could give their best to the rest of the world. Uh, they forgot that blessing was given for them to bless others. And so Jesus reminds them and us at the, uh, towards the middle of this little section in 23, the greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So he is just lambasting them. And I see it all the time in the church. Now this wouldn't happen here at First Methodist. It's one of those other churches, but we're easy to condemn or criticize other people's faults uh, and lacks at looking at our own faults. We, we see someone and we see their problems and the mess that they're in and we condemn them, but we don't do anything to help them. We just like to sit back and comment on Facebook about how terrible they are, right? And God is shaking his head and saying, that is wrong. You're supposed to be a blessing. And, and too often, even in my own life, I hear myself at times, I hate to admit it, making excuses for my faults while criticizing someone else for their faults. And God says that we are fools, that we're blind. It reminds me of this story after uh, Hurricane Katrina, if you were around when that happened, you know, it was a terrible disaster and the government sent out these uh, helicopters, these H-60 helicopters to, to go on missions around the clock to rescue people who were stranded on rooftops because the water was so high. And said that at first they had some success, but uh, and on their first trips, and it says on our first three missions, we saved the lives of 89 people, three dogs and a cat. I love that. I just think that's funny. 89 people, three dogs and a cat. But on the fourth mission, they had no success at all. But not because they were, they were trying, but they got so frustrated because the people kept saying, oh, we don't need any help. You might just give us some water. We're just going to hang out on this roof. The water's all around us. We'll be fine. And they were saying, no, this is going to, this is going to take weeks to subside. And you're sitting on top of a roof. We'll be all right. We're fine. They didn't understand the danger they were in. They didn't understand how desperate their situation was. And, and, and it's the same here, Jesus, as he's speaking to us, he, he's saying the same thing. Uh, and I can't speak for other denominations, but, but I can speak for the Methodist church. You know, so often we, we lose thousands of members each year as a denomination, and, and we're getting older and older with little hope for the future. And I, and I hear people say, so many good church folk who are comfortable living on the rooftop while the water's rising. We're fine. We don't need to change. We don't need rescue. We don't need anything. Jesus, we're good. We don't need to risk and go out and proclaim the gospel. We're fine. In fact, you know, those people out there, they need to get their act together. They need to learn how to dress correctly to come to church. They need to learn how to talk correctly. They need to get their act together. And once they do that, then we'll let them come and join us. And Jesus is just shaking his head. In fact, Jesus says this, and now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. Towards the end of chapter 23, he's telling the whole church, your house is abandoned, it's desolate. Because you forgot. You were, you were saved, you were blessed to be a blessing. And he's just made everyone uncomfortable. 
Can you imagine being there? <laughs> I think it's, it's funny, you know, when the disciples are used to Jesus saying things like this, but here, as he's in the temple and he's giving this last sermon, he's making everybody uncomfortable. Everyone a little bit mad. Have you ever been in that situation before where someone is just going off on, a, on something and you're just like, how do I get out of here? You've you been there? And, and you're just hoping someone changes the subject. Let's talk about anything else. Just me? Yeah, yeah. This is, I think this is what hap- is happening as the end of chapter 23, Jesus ends this section and they start to leave the temple and the disciples are going with him at the start of 24. It doesn't say it like this, but this is what I think happened. They're all just kind of like, um, what just happened? And the disciples are thinking, we got to get Jesus on another subject here. And so they start to point out the, the temple buildings and they, they start telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, doesn't this temple look great? Didn't they do a good job here with the stonework and how they decorated all this? Isn't that great? And what does Jesus say? No stone will be left on top of the other. This whole thing's going to be destroyed. And I'm sure they're just like, oh my gosh, we tried. And they just shut their mouth. And it says, then they get to the Mount of Olives. I'm sure that walk to the Mount of Olives, about a mile, was silent. You've been there? Kids, you've been there when your mom's hacked and you're in the car? It's just, we can't say anything. We're gonna get our heads ripped off. (laughs) This is kind of where Jesus is right now. (laughs) All the parents are looking at the kids. (laughs) They've been there. This is what takes place in chapter 23. And then, In private, as they get to the Mount of Olives, the disciples, they begin to question Jesus and say, hey, you know when you said about the temple that it's going to be destroyed and and, and not one stone is going to be left on another? When's that going to happen? Because they're getting a little nervous there. What's the signs for that? And in chapter 24 and 25, Jesus gives us signs about the end of the age and the wars and the chaos that's about to come. And, and he's warning the, the church to be ready. You have to be ready. And, and, and many people who read this section, they get real uncomfortable. They're not, they're not excited about this part of the scripture. There, there's a sense of fear or dread as Jesus is, is telling them what's gonna happen in the future. But here's the thing. I don't think we have to fear this part at all. We just have to be ready. We just have to be ready to know our purpose. If we, we know our purpose and if we're ready, then we don't have to fear because we were saved for a purpose, to be a blessing. When we know that, when we know that's who we are, we don't have to fear anything. We don't have to fear the future. We don't have to fear the now. We don't have to fear COVID. We are a people of purpose. And Jesus, so he begins to say that his return, his final return will be like in the days of Noah. Remember when the story of Noah, God calls him to build this giant boat, get all these animals, and it says the people are just living life like normal, like nothing's gonna happen. They're partying, having fun until the rain starts. And they weren't ready. And Jesus is saying, you have to keep watch, be ready, be prepared, don't get lazy, don't forget your purpose. You were saved for a purpose to be a blessing. And then in chapter 25, At the end of this sermon, Jesus gives us three stories, three parables 
about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. Each of them kind of, they build on the other and they add flavor to uh, this time and what it's going to be like and the importance of our purpose, the importance of being prepared and ready. And, and the first story is the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. Uh, you've probably heard this parable before, but let me remind you of the story. In, in this parable, Jesus is talking about there's a wedding and there's 10 bridesmaids. Today, that's a pretty big wedding, right? Uh, and 10 bridesmaids, and the, the bridesmaids are to have their lamps and oil to get ready because they're there to help the groom and the bride. And it says that five of those bridesmaids had their oil lamps ready, but they didn't have oil. And the other five had both. And the groom was delayed in coming, and he came at midnight and an hour later than they expected. And when the groom came, the five who had their lamps and their oil, they lit their lamps to, to provide light for the wedding and for the, the ceremony. And the other five who brought their lamps but not oil said, hey, let us borrow some of your oil. And they're like, no, if, you do, if we do that, then we won't, won't have enough oil to light. Go buy some. And as they're out buying, the wedding happens, and they're locked out of the wedding ceremony. <laughs> it's a caution to be ready. But if you think about it, what's the purpose of a bridesmaid? The purpose isn't just to stand up here and look pretty. The purpose of a bridesmaid is to bless the bride and groom for the wedding. And you can imagine in the first century, you have an oil lamp. The fuel for the oil lamp is oil, right? So to have the lamp have light, you have to have oil. And so five of them had their lamp, but no. Were they ready? They're idiots. I mean, I'm sorry, but they, they, they weren't prepared. Why do you think you're a bridesmaid? To bless the bride and groom. They forgot their purpose. They weren't prepared. And, and Jesus says, so you too must keep watch for you. Do not know the day or the hour of my return. Be ready, be prepared, know your purpose. And then the second story, what we call the parable of the three servants or the, the parable of the talents. You've heard this uh, parable before. Remember in this parable, Jesus says there was a master who was going on a trip. And before he went on the trip, he entrusted to his servants different amounts of money. And for one servant, he gave five uh, bags of, of, of silver to a second servant, he gave two, and to a third servant, he gave one, according to their ability. They all got some, but they got different amounts according to their ability. And so he then goes out on a trip. He's away a long time. The master comes back, and he wants an accounting for what the servants did with his money that he entrusted to him. And the first servant said, you gave me five uh, bags of silver, and I have uh, made five more bags. I've invested five more. Now I have 10. And what does the master say? He says, well done. You did great. Enter into the joy of the master. Enter into the joy of the kingdom because you didn't squander what was given to you. To the second servant who had gotten the two bags of silver, he made two more bags while he was gone and, and invested in wisely and got two more. And, and the master said, well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of of my kingdom. The third servant who had one bag of money, he, he said, well, master, I know you're harsh and, and, and you demand a lot and you, and, and you have great expectations for what I do. So what I did with your money is I just buried it in the ground. Here's your money back that you gave me. And the master is not happy, right? He said, you did nothing. You could have at least taken that money, 
There were banks back then too. People would lend money. You could have just given it to the banker. He would have made you a little bit of interest and you could have brought that with a little bit of interest. That's some initiative. You didn't even do that. And he said, take that bag of money, give it to the one with five and this one's gone. He's no longer my servant because he wasted what I gave him. He wasted what I gave him. And Jesus says this at the end of the parable that the master said to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So we're, again, we're getting to see the flavor of what the kingdom of God like and, and is talking about this community that, you know, even in our community. And then the third story, Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. One of the most powerful parables of the three. It's a tough parable. Uh, in fact, let me retell it. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus says, now when the son of man, when he comes back, when he returns in all his majesty with the angels behind him, and he comes, he will come and sit on his throne and judge all the nations. And he will separate the people, the sheep and the goats. I'm not sure which side is which here this morning. We'll see, but... Uh, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then the king will say to all of those, come, all of you who receive good things from my father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison, you visited me. And the people are scratching their heads saying, Jesus, I don't ever remember you being in church. And Jesus said, whatever you did, the least of these, you did to me. And I'm like, oh, well, that's just natural because we're, we're blessed to be a blessing. And then to the other side, to the goats, he said the same thing, but in the opposite. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. You didn't provide for me. And so I'm pushing you out of the kingdom. And the people there are scratching their heads saying, Jesus, again, we don't remember you ever being in church. And he said, you know, because what you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do to me. Now, there are many different ways to interpret this parable, but historically, and I think rightly, the parable is addressing, again, the community of faith. I would say all of us who are, would call First Methodist Church home, or whatever church you're a part of, home, that that we have to be faithful in blessing each other with the gift of Jesus. How we take care of the body of Christ, the church, will be to our blessing or to our detriment. Now, I do not believe that salvation is based on if we do good works for the poor and the needy, but our salvation is in response to the calling of Jesus. And, but all nations will be judged based on the response to the message of Jesus, right? All of us will be. Readiness in the kingdom is not passive. So let me also say this. This isn't a parable about that we're called to go out and help the poor and the needy that are not in the church. This parable is not addressing that, but the gospel addresses that. We are still called to do that. 
this parable is in context of the community of faith that we are called to be the body of Christ for each other, to bless one another. And, and, and again, readiness in the kingdom of God is not passive, it is active. It invests in Jesus and those who are giving the message and those who are called to go out into the world to receive Christ in his kingdom that carry the message of Jesus because remember, we were saved for a purpose, to be a blessing. We were saved for a purpose, to be a blessing. So here's the calling today. And, and, and I wonder, will you heed this call? Because again, as Jesus has given this final sermon, he's telling us, you gotta be ready right now. Today's the day, not later, now. Will you heed this invitation, this call? And so I wanna invite our, our band to come on up for a, a second. Um, and I'm gonna do an altar call this morning for all of us, uh, wherever you are in your walk with God in your walk with Jesus. And, and here's the, the call. For some of you here today, you might not have ever given your life to Christ. You not, might not have, you've maybe been on the fringe. Maybe you've been in church and, and you've just kind of given lip service. You've been passive. You've been a receiver of blessing, but never realized that God's calling is for you to be blessed, for you to be saved so that you can bless others. And so I would invite you those of you who have never received Christ or want to receive Christ, uh, you can come to the altar this morning. But the second part of this call this morning is for those who have been squandering your blessing, who have forgotten that you have been blessed truly to bless the world. And, and I want to invite you because, again, the season of Lent that we've been in is a season to reflect on where we are. Where am I right now? Don't wait Till later, because today's the day that Jesus calls us. Today's the day where, where Jesus says, get your heart right with me now because you need to be ready and you never know the time. And so I'm gonna invite, I'm gonna say a prayer and then I'm gonna invite you to come and, and just kneel at the altar if you need to renew your commitment to Christ, if you need to be reminded again of the blessing that you've been blessed with. If you wanna accept Christ for the first time, the, the altar is open. If you want me to pray with you, catch my eye and I'll, and I'll try to pray with you as well. But otherwise, the altar is open. Let, let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you again for the calling that you've give, given to us for this tough message, which reminds us that that calling is now and that we need to heed your call, that we as the body of Christ, we've been blessed for a purpose. When you called Abraham, out of a foreign nation, and you said, I'm going to make you great. That greatness was so that they could bless the rest of the world. And how often do we forget that, God? Forgive us. Help us to receive you anew this day, to drop our guard, to take that step of faith, to receive you anew in this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open if you want to come.